we're being mindful so that we can remember to see clearly, see clearly how things are. And when we see clearly, that moves us into that liberating understanding. You don't have to make anything happen. You just have to be witness to what is happening without delusion. And that's the role that mindfulness plays. If there's some sort of suffering in your life, some sort of disquiet, you don't have to go to war with that. You just have to see the truth. What is helpful is to see it as like, oh, this is a practice of non-doing. I'm not out to do anything. I'm just going to give myself this chance to see the truth. And in seeing the truth, the mind is liberated. Mindfulness Outreach Initiative is a nonprofit insight meditation organization located in Omaha, Nebraska. We provide meditation instruction based on ethics, compassion, and wisdom, as well as social outreach programs based on transformation and healing. To join the MOI community or to practice generosity, please visit our website at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. So tonight, as far as a talk, what I was going to offer is maybe just to encourage you all to consider how your Dharma practice has resulted in a greater sense of patience or an ability to be patient. I was uh, offering some instruction earlier today, and one of the things that I was saying to people was kind of hinting towards this cultivation of patience in your practice. Can you find that there has been a development of patience as a result of your meditation practice? Sometimes we encourage this uh, kind of new perspective related to your meditation practice, where we're describing it as a practice of non-doing, that you're not out to do anything that the practice is a practice of awareness. You're just practicing being aware of what experience is arising in any given moment, meeting it with mindfulness. And that's really challenging for some people because especially when you're new to practice, you feel like, well, I have to be doing something. I have to quiet my mind. I have to find release from this stress. I have to overcome this sadness. Really, the practice of mindfulness is to have this non-judgmental, non-preferential willingness to engage with whatever's present. And it is a practice. So you will find that if there is some discomfort in the body, there's an opportunity to meet it with mindfulness. And the real richness in having the courage to meet discomfort in the body or some sort of thought or an emotion that is presenting an unpleasant feeling tone is that there is insight to be gained, insight into the nature of that experience. And just as true, if there is something that is pleasant, something wonderful that you're experiencing in your life, the encouragement is to meet it with mindfulness that there is an opportunity for insight in doing so, in meeting that experience without preference. It's really pointing to not moving into a relationship of craving with the experience. And every time you meditate, you have this wonderful opportunity. And so there is this kind of 
encouragement to see your practice as a practice of non-doing. I'm not out to manage, control an experience. I'm not out to gain or become anything in particular through my meditation practice. It's just to sit and observe whatever's naturally taking place so that I can afford myself that opportunity to begin to gain insight. We're being mindful so that we can remember to see clearly, see clearly how things are. And when we see clearly, that moves us into that liberating understanding. And that is what we know to be this wonderful benefit of our meditation practice. When we're mindful, we see clearly, and it results in an understanding that frees the mind. You don't have to make anything happen. You just have to be witness to what is happening without delusion. And that's the role that mindfulness plays. If there's some sort of suffering in your life, some sort of disquiet, you don't have to go to war with that. You just have to see the truth. And sometimes that takes a lot of courage and sometimes that takes a lot of fortitude. But what is helpful is to see it as like, oh, this is a practice of non-doing. I'm not out to do anything. I'm just going to give myself this chance to see the truth. And in seeing the truth, the mind is liberated. Like I said before, sometimes this idea of non-doing is really challenging for people. You know, we're all very much conditioned to think that the, the best way to get where we want to go is to make it happen. And so the, the instructions for mindfulness are sometimes they come across very counterintuitive. So going back to this idea of patience. For those people who really have a challenge moving into this non-doing instruction of practice, sometimes I'll tell them, you know, well, what you're doing is you're practicing patience. So when you sit on your meditation cushion and you close your eyes and you become still, you're practicing patience, being patient with the body and all of its pain, being patient with the mind and all of its fabrication and returning again and again to the present moment. So even if you don't recognize it, every time you meditate, you are cultivating greater and greater patience. What's really wonderful is when you do recognize that that's what you're practicing, it furthers the development of that patience. And patience is a virtue. It's one of these qualities that we can probably readily recognize it's lacking in the world. It might be lacking in our relationships, how we meet with others in friendship. The more you begin to direct this mindful attention, this mindful awareness to seeing the deficit of patience in yourself or the uh, furthering of this quality of patience, it strengthens the resolve and the motivation to further cultivate it. And this is all very humbling. And this is one of these other qualities of Dharma practice that's really, you know, sometimes really wonderful to recognize. And sometimes we don't see it developing until after it's maybe been pointed out to us. Oh, you're so humble. Ah, oh, you're so patient. How do you do it? And you're kind of surprised by someone recognizing these qualities at times. It's like, oh, I never thought of myself as humble or patient. 
in my view, these are qualities that they're worthy of cultivation. They're worthy of, of recognition. And it does seem at times in our lives that there is a deficit of humility and patience. When you consider that these qualities may in fact be very rare and very virtuous, wholesome, worthy of cultivation, worthy of embodiment, to be an exemplar of patience, to be an exemplar of humility. Does the mind brighten? Does the mind incline towards, yeah, I want to cultivate those qualities? Something I thought I would share. As we practice the Dharma, when we develop and pursue things like what I'm talking about, what, what is it that we're developing and pursuing? We're developing that which leads to disenchantment, to dispassion, to cessation, to stilling the stillness of the mind, to a direct knowledge of an experience, or what we would call self-awakening, or another way of describing this is unbinding. The qualities that we're cultivating lead to disenchantment, to dispassion, to a stilling, a cooling of the mind, to an unbinding And I think when we can uh, recall those times where we have experienced patience as a virtue within ourselves, we've experienced the benefits of having been patient, we see that, ah, oh, yeah, there is this unbinding, this release, this cooling of the mind. We can see very clearly how if we had lost our patience, the direction it would have taken our life in, in a moment, losing our patience. And so it's a really wonderful thing to reflect upon those times where ah, I maintained my cool, the coolness of this mind, the disenchantment to take the bait that would lead me out of this place of patience. Or I was mindful enough to recognize conceit. I saw it in the mind, and yet I didn't take the bait to lead me off into that spinning out fabrication of the mind where I'm so focused on myself, but I remained in that position of being of service to others. And there was a real sense of humility. Sometimes when we're mindful enough, we can kind of see and catch ourselves when we're really getting carried away and we don't have that quality of humility. And we see the danger, we recognize it, and immediately we start to temper what we're saying. We begin to slow down. But a lot of this takes a great skill of being mindfully aware of ourselves, mindful in our speech, mindful in our actions. So what I'm offering tonight is just this encouragement to reflect upon these qualities 
And to keep in mind that what we're practicing as we practice the Dharma is this disenchantment. So thinking of like, okay, what causes suffering? Greed, hatred, and delusion, this quality of craving leads us straight into suffering. So how do I, how do I free the mind of suffering? There's the disenchantment with the idea that getting what we want leads to happiness and somehow not getting what we want will ensure that we remain happy forever. It's abandoning greed, abandoning aversion, coming to this place where the mind can see clearly. It's this understanding that recognizes everything changes. Everything is dukkha. Everything is ultimately unsatisfying. What provides a sense of happiness in one moment is just the moment. It's not a lasting satisfaction. And everything is changing. Everything is ungovernable. It's not within my control to ensure that I never experience setbacks and disappointments. So when I abandon craving, that is a disenchantment, disenchanting the mind from that enchanted mind that thinks that ah, I, can, I can ensure that I will always be happy, that I will never experience unhappiness. The tendency, the habit of the mind to cling, to move into that position of greed, or to be in that position of ill will or aversion, when we abandon craving, that's the dispassion. That's the disenchantment. It's like we're caught in a spell and we've been disenchanted. We see clearly that greed and aversion, they're insubstantial. They're changing just like everything else. And that's where we begin to experience cessation. That's where we begin to experience stilling, the stilling of the mind, the cooling of the mind the awakening, the unbinding of the mind. It happens through clear seeing, through the practice of mindfulness. That happening is, that awakening, that whole process is the liberating results of seeing clearly. The Buddha discovered that gaining release from samsara requires assigning to each of the noble truths a special task. And so this is the four noble truths, and the special task that is assigned to each noble truth is this. The first noble truth is to be comprehended, to understand dukkha, to understand the noble truth of dukkha, that things are ultimately unsatisfying, ultimately ungovernable. The second noble truth is to be abandoned. So the craving, the second noble truth, greed, hatred, and delusion in the mind, this quality of craving that leads us into suffering is to be abandoned. The third is to be realized, to realize the letting go, the cessation, the release that happens when we abandon craving the release from suffering that happens when we abandon craving. And the fourth is to be developed, the fourth being the Eightfold Path, the development of the Eightfold Path, the path that leads to the release of dukkha.
The full realization of the third noble truth paves the way for awakening, the end of ignorance, craving, and suffering, and karma itself, the direct penetration to the transcendent freedom of the supreme happiness that stands as the final goal of all Buddhist teachings, the unconditioned, the deathless, unbinding, or what we all know to be nirvana or nibbana. Nibbana is best described as this cooling of the mind. Again, it's really important that when you think about, okay, here I am, I'm going to meditate. Why are you meditating? What is it all about? And can you evaluate in yourself that what you're practicing, the instruction that you're practicing, the way you're going about cultivating either humility or virtue, is it this whole process that follows the Four Noble Truths? Are the Four Noble Truths there, present, as you are cultivating wholesome states of mind and abandoning unwholesome states of mind? Because we can so easily fool ourselves and we're just practicing greed for this and aversion to that. You know, the wisdom that we're cultivating in our practice, don't get lost in just chasing what feels good. You want to ask, your, ask the question, is it wise? Is it skillful? Sometimes things that don't feel so good are skillful. Sometimes things that feel great are unskillful. So we need a real discerning wisdom. We need wisdom to help us recognize the path. You know, there's this whole term of spiritual materialism. And it's basically what I just described. It's where you kind of get confused and you think the path is all about feeling good. And for those of you who have sat any time on a cushion meditating, you know that it doesn't always feel so good. And I'm not just talking about aches and pains in the body. I'm talking about coming to the truth. A realization of the truth. Sometimes that's, there's a lot of growing pains there. Sometimes it can hit very hard, but it's always freeing. It's always that result of unbinding. You know, I'm going to be coming to Omaha the first week in November. I will be giving that first Tuesday talk in person. And then on the second and third, there is a workshop that I'm offering on the practice of Maranasati, which is death awareness death meditation. This is really to offer the instruction for how to practice death meditation. It's not a morbid pursuit. It actually results in great joy to come to the reality of this truth that we all will eventually meet our end. We are mortal, and yet we totally space this off. We forget about it all the time. We totally don't consider the fact that we're aging in every moment, that old age and disease is imminent for all of us, and eventually death is where we're all headed. So when we come to the truth of that reality, it is very, it supports a joyous quality in the mind. It's not a, oh no, 
It's more like, wow, every moment of your life becomes rich and precious because you see the truth that it's impermanent. It's something that is unique in each moment. I think what I would say about the workshop is that it's not meant to be, the workshop itself is not meant to be this cathartic experience for you, although it could possibly be just that. The workshop is meant to give you the instruction so that you can practice cultivating an awareness of your own mortality so that you, your mind, you're not deluded. You're not deluded in thinking that this body is somehow reliable and unchanging. Because when we cling to this body, there's a tremendous amount of suffering there. This body will change. The faculties of this body will change. The aim of this workshop is to give you the tools, give you the instructions to formally practice Maranasati in all of its forms, to cultivate that awareness in the mind. And this is one of those profound teachings of the Buddha where the mindfulness instructions of the, the Satipatthana Sutta lead to liberation. You all know the benefit of practicing loving kindness and how that can lead to freedom in the mind. There is a great freedom in the mind that is cultivated, realized through practicing an awareness of death completely liberating. And so that's what the aim of this uh, workshop is all about. Well, any questions or comments about what I share tonight? Do you feel like you have some instruction to go home and cultivate virtues of patience and humility? I have a question, Jonathan. Yes. You spoke a lot about patience. Sometimes I, when I hear patience, I associate it with laziness. Can you distinguish between mm. what's being lazy and what's being patient? Mm. I think of patience more for me as discipline. So when I practice patience, it looks a lot like discipline. Think of some delicious food that's placed in front of you, and yet you're waiting for everyone else to take their seat. And you're, you're being patient. That's a lot of discipline to not just dive into your food. I used to have this dog and, man, you'd pour his food and he would bolt for it and it would be gone before the other dogs even had their bowls filled. And it was like, did you even taste it? That's magic. You made it disappear so quick. So I think that's kind of something that I notice. And, and so this idea of, well... I think there's an honesty within ourselves that will recognize if we're truly being patient or if we're just being lazy. So I think deep down, if we kind of turn that awareness back on ourselves, if we're reflecting on ourselves, we'll recognize, we'll wake up and see like, eh, I'm just being lazy here, as opposed to being patient. Patient with this body, patient with the mind, patient with others. I, I really, honestly, I think there takes a great effort in being patient sometimes. The more we practice it, I think the, the more the mind naturally inclines to being patient. But I think if it's something we're practicing, it takes some effort. It takes some energy to be patient. And that doesn't look like laziness to me. So I think if you begin to 
take the skills that you've cultivated thus far in your meditation practice to begin to investigate what is laziness, what is patience. You'll begin to find your own distinction. You'll begin to recognize for yourself, okay, this is what laziness feels like. I'm mindful of it. I'm here for it. I'm not recalling a time when I was lazy. I'm actually present in this moment of laziness. And then do the same, being present in that moment of patience and recognize, wow, this is a lot of work. Or, hey, this comes easy to me. But I think the whole thing is, is that with that encouragement to really be present in those moments when these qualities of mind are present so that you don't miss them, that's the real teacher. These qualities are, are really great. Laziness and patience, they're, they're teaching you directly what they are. You can be mindful of them and they will teach you, here's what I am. Sometimes cultivating certain qualities, it's a little challenging because, it, like, for example, humility. How can I know what it is to be humble? Does being humble, does that teach me directly the same way being patient will teach me how to be patient? What I've found is when I notice, when I am mindfully aware of my lack of humility, that's what teaches me humility. When I see the absence of my humility, that teaches me what it means to be humble. All right, everyone. May the merit of this practice be a cause and a condition for your own liberation and the liberation of all beings everywhere. Wishing you all well. May you know the, the blessing of the triple gem, the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Take care, everyone. Thank you for being here tonight. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you for listening. We know your time is valuable, so we are grateful you choose to spend it with the MOI community. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. To make an offering, please visit us at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. And tune in each week for more Dharma talks, reflections, and teachings centered in the insight meditation tradition.